Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch. And I'm Jeremy. This is a weekly American history podcast that deep dives into all the stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today. You know, I've been watching entirely too much PBS with our son, because uh-huh. I was like thinking about what I was going to say, you know, how we always start the show, right. and I wanted to say, mugga mugga, like from Daniel Tiger, because <laughs> it's just in, like ingrained in my brain now. <laughs> we watch it. Yeah. Uh, entirely too much. <laughs> so for this week's uh, presidential trivia, yeah. the question is, which president has served two non-consecutive terms? Ooh, it was a while ago. It, it was a while ago. And I could see the guy's picture from my poster, but I can't think of his name. Oh, yeah. Your poster definitely would have helped you out on this one if you had that hanging yeah, up yeah, in yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. No, I can see his face, too. Like, What does he look like? A white man Whoa. with a beard. I'm pretty sure he's wearing a hat in the picture, too. But he's got a pretty gnarly, like, miner's beard, I'm pretty sure. Hmm. Okay. Maybe not. Ah, uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> but anyways. But I can see him. He's on his face. I don't yeah. know what he looks like. White man. Uh, the answer will be at the end of this episode, so stay tuned. It was a 50-50 shot with uh, whether or not he had a beard. Um, yeah, pretty close to it. Probably. Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of presidents that were clean shaven, even for the olden the days. Unless you count like Munchops as like facial hair. I mean, like a beard, you know. Yeah. It's just kind of just really long sideburns. Yeah. Sideburns are definitely facial hair. <laughs> well, yeah, I meant like a beard. <laughs> if you count it as a beard. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a cl- probably a class of beard. Yeah. I don't know how many had like miners beards, though, like you were saying. Wow. Need to get your need to get your poster out. Yeah. So we don't know much about the early life of Patty Cannon. Some believe that she was born Lucretia Patricia Hanley or Martha Patricia Hanley. So either name around 1760. Okay. Um, but she went by Patty, so we at least know that. There are differing accounts of her parents and where Patty was born as well. Some accounts say that her father was from a royal English family, but was cast out because he was a scoundrel and he made his way to North America. Other accounts say Patty belonged to a family of gypsies in Canada, and then she made her way into the United States, working as a prostitute in her early 20s with hopes of owning her own brothel one day. But whatever happened in her early life, we do know that she eventually ended up in Sussex County, Delaware, and married Jesse Cannon, who had some farmland in Johnson's Crossroads, which was a town just a few yards from the Delaware-Maryland border. They had a daughter named Mary Cannon and a son... Was yards away? Yards away. They literally... Can we just say feet? <laughs> yards. <laughs> no, we cannot just say feet because it was several feet. <laughs> Yes, okay, (laughs) feet. (laughs) But anyways, they had a daughter they named Mary Cannon and a son they named Jesse Jr. Patty was a big lady in both height and weight. One source that I read described Patty as an Amazonian Paul Bunyan. Nice. She was also very strong and attractive and would entertain travelers passing through their town. 
She is kind of like a little like entertain so more it's more like drinks and food and yeah. talk okay you know her house was kind of like a bed and breakfast but nobody really stayed they the night it. yeah they more just stopped in to eat at her house yeah. by the time that the american revolution came around british slave importers had brought around three million captured africans to the americas to be used as slaves after the revolutionary war was over Many northern states passed legislation that abolished slavery in their states, since slavery was not crucial for the economies. They're like, we don't need slavery. Mm-hmm. We don't want it. Yeah. Different, uh, different, different uh, industries. Yeah, there, in the wasn't, north. there wasn't these huge farms yeah. that they needed, you know, slave labor for. Well, I mean, just generally. Or just generally. Like large amounts of farm. labor. You need labor to run a farm. This doesn't have to be a slave labor. Right. But you know what you, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. The South, however, ran their economy literally on the backs of slaves. Right. That is how their economy worked. Right. When new states were Free labor. Yep. When new states were added to the Union, there was often a lot of debate and tension on if the state would be a free state or a slave state. In 1807, Congress passed a law to abolish the African slave trade that would go into effect in 1808. This law did not abolish slavery, but meant that new slaves could not be brought into America from Africa. Hmm. So it's basically saying, we can't, you're not going to bring any new slaves in. Right. So even though trading slaves was not illegal and children born to enslaved parents were automatically born enslaved themselves, Many plantations still wanted to grow their slave populations, and the price of slaves skyrocketed to an average price of $300 per slave, which is around $7,000 today. And this is at a time when you could buy an acre of land for a dollar. Wow. So, even though it doesn't, it's not a lot for human life, <laughs> yeah. um, it was still a lot of money sure. back in the day. Right. Slave traders would... I mean, you could buy 300 acres with that land, but you would, wouldn't be able to work it. Right. I mean, you would. You could, but not and be... Not for cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Slave traders would roam the country looking for slaves to buy that they could then sell to plantations at an increased price. Hmm. In 1811, a man named Rigel and his traveling companion were traveling through Johnson's Crossing and stopped in at Patty's home. She offered them strong hot toddies and listened to the stories of their travels. <laughs> that just reminds me of the guy that we used to, the, our landlord from Sheridan. Oh, did he love hot toddies? Oh my God, he could. He would not stop talking about hot toddies. I, didn't, I do not remember that. He would always go to the. He would always go to the Holiday Inn. He did. I do remember he loved the Holiday Inn bar. Yep, and he would drink hot toddies with his lady friends from the church. Nice. <laughs> He was a single older dude from Sheridan, Wyoming. So that was that was his game, especially in the winter time, which is three fourths of the year, <laughs> yeah, which is most of the time in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Well, Rigel mentioned to Patty that he was a slave trader and was carrying cash to buy any slaves that he came across. Patty mentioned she had a slave to sell, but unfortunately, he was not there at the moment. So before leaving, Rigel said that he would return to buy Patty's slave, and him and his friend took off down the road in their carriage. As soon as Rigel left, Patty went to go get her son-in-law, Harry Brereton, and two local brothers, John and Jesse Griffith, that were known troublemakers. 
The men and Patty dressed in dark coats, tall hats, and grabbed their muskets. They jumped on their horses and started to make their way through the nearby forest to cut off Rigel's carriage. Okay, at this point, I want to ask you where you think the story is going. She murders them. Okay. For why? Because she's anti-slavery. All right. I just wanted to get just wanted to get your thoughts about how the story was going first. Is that is that it? Nope. Uh, she just wanted to rob him of all of his cash because he was carrying thousands of dollars. Aww. Patty and her men knew that Rigel would have to cross the river at Cannon's Ferry, and it would take a while for the ferrymen to be called over and then make their way across the river. Patty's gang would cross the river at a closer point and then waited by the road for the carriage. When Rigel's carriage was in view, Patty and the men opened fire on it. Rigel was hit by a musket ball that went through his stomach. He fired back with his pistol into the dark and then got back in the carriage and left. Rigel and his friend made it to the next town over named Laurel, but Rigel died of his wounds about an hour later. Mm. Rigel's friend told authorities about their stop at Patty's and then the ambush that took part soon after. Sussex County authorities caught Jesse Griffith, and it didn't take much for him to spill all the details of the attempted heist and the participants, except that he left out Patty's name, or he did mention her name, but authorities chose not to arrest her either way. Hmm. Jesse's brother John and Patty's son-in-law Harry were soon arrested, tried, found guilty of murder, and sentenced to death by hanging. If anything, Patty grew braver after the encounter. And when another slave trader showed up at her house a few years later, bragging about how he had $15,000 in cash on him to buy slaves, which is about, I think, I'm, don't, I didn't write down the math on this, but I think that's about $300,000 today, Jeez. just in cash. Yeah. So he said he had $15,000 in cash on you him to buy slaves. Buy yeah. Patty found that opportunity was too good to pass up. While the slave trader was eating a meal that Patty had prepared for him, Patty walked up behind him and stabbed him in the back. As soon as the slave trader slumped over the table, dead, Patty heard more travelers outside of her door ready to come in and visit. So she got the slave trader onto the table and wrapped him and all of the dishes on the table up in the tablecloth and shoved it all into a big box. Oh, Jesus. She then let the other travelers in to eat and drink with her. Once they left, she got a couple of other local brothers named the Johnson Brothers to dump the slave trader's body into a shallow grave. Jeez. One of the brothers, Joe Johnson, was a big man over six feet tall, very intimidating looking, and owned a tavern across the street from Patty's house that straddled the Delaware-Maryland border. Joe married Patty's daughter Mary, and after the marriage, invited Patty to join in his business. While Patty had collected a pretty penny from killing the slave trader, a much more lucrative and self-sustaining business was the business of kidnapping freed black Americans and selling them to the slave traders that came through. Hmm. Joe would collect freed black men and women from both Delaware and Maryland and then keep them shackled in the attic of his tavern. When the tavern's attic was filled, they were put on a boat that went down the Nanticoke River and across the Chesapeake Bay to Annapolis. They were then taken to Washington, D.C., where they were shackled in another tavern attic until they were purchased. Jeez. Delaware was a free state, and many escaped slaves felt safe once they crossed over the Mason-Dixon line into Delaware. But Maryland was a slave state. 
which meant if Patty or Joe ever got into trouble with Delaware authorities for kidnapping or slave trading, all they would have to do is step back into Maryland, which often meant just going on to one side of the tavern. Yeah. Jeez. Johnson's Crossing was also along one of the Underground Railroad routes, which meant there was a lot of escaped slaves making their way towards northern states, which meant there was that much bigger of a population in the area for Joe and Patty to prey on. Jeez. Patty, I had faith in you. (laughs) Right. Patty soon became part of what is known as the Reverse Underground Railroad. That that was the best name they could come up with. That's the best thing they could come up with. Yeah. And obviously they didn't call it that. Right. (laughs) They're like, we're the Reverse Underground Railroad. They put a sign outside of their tavern. Yeah. But, yeah, that's not what I came up with, but yeah. other other people yeah. that have studied this came up with. And she started to grow her gang to start kidnapping further and further away from Johnson's Crossing, even as far as Philadelphia, and then bringing them back to the tavern to await their next shipment of kidnapped slaves. Desperate to not be sold into slavery, either again or for the first time, these people tried as hard as they could to escape. One young African-American man cut his throat before Patty's gang could even get him out of Philadelphia. Well, and so the thing is, is I was reading that even if you are a freed black person, whether you had made it into the Northern States to become free, whether you had been freed by your previous owner, Mm -hmm. or if you were born freed, if you were kidnapped and somebody said that you were a slave, the process of trying to convince somebody that you were actually a freed person black person was insane and they said you know it could go to court but black people weren't allowed to testify for you you had to get a white person to testify that said that you were free free. Hmm. another woman tried escaping the tavern in washington dc by jumping out of the attic window and she fell three stories into the street she broke her back and both arms between the elbows and wrists right Her moans woke up Washington, D.C. Mayor James H. Blake, who was also a doctor. He set the bones in her arms, and when she was stable, he returned her to the tavern. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Isn't that so sad? Yeah. She became the tavern keeper's slave, since no traders wanted a slave with a broken back. But they took her two children and sold them in the Carolinas. News of her fall reached an abolitionist named Jesse Torrey, who was able to get into the tavern attic and interview the men and women being held there. However, that was all that he could do, since neither he nor the kidnapped people had evidence that they had ever been free. Hmm. They're legally being held in the attic. Just chained in the attic. God, it blows my mind. Because at first I was reading this, it's like, he found them. And it's like, no, I mean, he found them, but there's nothing he can do about it. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, Jesse traveled to the surrounding area where he gathered information on Patty's gang. He then returned to Washington with his evidence and appealed to a court to free the people being held in the tavern attic. In 1816, <laughs> a member of Patty's gang hired a free black American named Lil Moni to work on the crew of his small ship. When the ship got close to a bridge, Joe Johnson jumped from the bridge onto the ship, tackled Luomoni, and tied him up with the help from the rest of the ship's crew. Luomoni was taken to Patty's attic, where he stayed there shackled for three days. 
After the third day, Luomoni was able to slip out of his shackles and escape. He found shelter with a couple of Delaware abolitionists who sent word of his experience to authorities in Philadelphia. Around the same time, another man kidnapped by Patty ended up being sold to his previous owner. Just by happenstance. Yeah. Because of this, the man was able to sue for his freedom. And he got it. And he won. And his story helped authorities continue to build their case against Patty and her gang. Hmm. In 1819, a free black woman from Philadelphia named Sarah Hagerman was kidnapped by Patty's gang. Word of her abduction and her abductors made their way to Willis, a member of the Pennsylvania Abolition Society, and Hatfield Wright, one of Patty's neighbors who was also an abolitionist. Willis and Wright concocted a plan to try to find Sarah Hagerman in Patty's house. They hired a man to pretend to be looking to buy a slave, who was led by Patty into her attic to take a look at the slaves. The man was able to pick Hagerman out of the group of slaves and let Willis and Wright know. They contacted the sheriff, who was able to get a warrant to search Patty's house. The sheriff and his posse went into Patty's house and found five young black women shackled in the attic. However, none of the women were Sarah Hagerman, and the sheriff was forced to leave empty-handed. What? Again. Did she Did she hide Sarah? Was Sarah actually there? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if she was hidden, if she had already been moved, moved if she was in the tavern. Mm. I don't know. It just blows my mind that he's able to go up there to see five people just shackled to the wall. And he's like, well, I guess all's in order. Yeah. And then just leave. Yeah. Patty began to kidnap not only men and women, but mothers with babies and small children. Small children were not valuable on the slave market, since a slave owner would have to invest several years into the child before seeing any return of productive labor. Patty saw no reason to keep the children. On several occasions, Patty would bash in a baby's head if it started crying and it annoyed her. And when one of the kidnapped women gave birth to a light-skinned baby while in Patty's custody, Patty assumed that it was either her husband's or son's baby, so she killed it right then and there. What? Yeah. She didn't even have... How how long was she hanging on to those women? Uh, See, that's the thing. I don't know. I don't know if Patty was just... On a psycho? power trip, just on a psycho. psycho, just crazy. Yeah, I mean that's sounds, I mean, very she possible. Sounds like it, but I mean she was. Yeah, she's literally killing babies. Yeah, she's killing babies. So she's like a psycho. Yeah. In another incident, a five-year-old was screaming, so Patty beat him. But no matter how hard she hit him, he kept screaming. Patty then tore the clothes off the child and held him in her fireplace until he burned to death. Patty, oh my God. yeah. Like, straight-up psychopath. Yeah. Patty buried the children's bodies in one of the farm fields behind her home. Like, it's one thing to be, like, in crime for the money. It's another to just kill babies. Yeah. And children. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's... That puts you on a whole other level. Hmm. Special place in hell for people who prey on children. Yeah. Several years later, in 1821, a posse arrested Joe Johnson, Patty, and Jesse Cannon, and Jesse Cannon Jr. on two bills of indictment found against them for several years of kidnapping free blacks. Despite having all of the gang leaders arrested, Joe Johnson was the only one prosecuted. 
and the rest were let go. Joe Johnson was convicted on one of the bills of indictment for kidnapping and was sentenced to endure 39 lashes, have his ears nailed to the pillory for an hour, and then have the soft part of his ears cut off. Joe had the 39 lashes and had his ears nailed to the pillory, but the governor remitted the part of the sentence of getting the soft part of his ears cut off. Jesus. So he got to keep those. Hmm. But apparently that was pretty actually... That, that was the punishment for kidnapping. Really? Was getting the soft part of your ears cut off and lashes. It was hmm. very common back then. Hmm. So if you saw somebody without their... Yeah, they kidnapped somebody. Yeah. Hmm. Or some other crime. I'm sure that was used a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. The flogging did not deter Joe or Patty from continuing their kidnapping schemes. And three years after his sentence was carried out, a large number of free young black people began to disappear from Philadelphia and the surrounding suburbs, including a large number of black chimney sweeps. Hmm. Apparently it was a very popular job for mm-hmm. young black men back then. They would usually be gone for several days at a time. They would travel a lot, going from houses to house. And so it was really easy for Patty and her gang to just snatch them off the street and put them in a boat and... Turn them on their way, because it was a couple days before I even noticed they were gone. Right, exactly. Hmm. In 1826, Patty's husband, Jesse, died, and rumors began to swirl that Patty had poisoned him but no authorities attempted to arrest her for murder. By this time, Patty was in her 60s and was starting to ease into retirement. She had made a lot of money from both the kidnappings and robbing various slave traders and was now renting her land to a tenant farmer, which was generating plenty of income for her to live the rest of her days easy. Mm -hmm. The kidnappings began to drop off and Patty began to relax. In April 1829... So, she's almost 70 by this point, also. Patty's tenant farmer was plowing a field next to her house when he decided to clean up an area that was covered in brush so he could expand the area that he could plant crops in. Mm -hmm. Once he got the brush cleaned up, he started to plow the area. His horse that was pulling the plow began to sink into the dirt. So, the farmer got his horse out of the soft soil and started digging to see why the dirt was so loose and soft. After a few minutes, the farmer unearthed a large box that was filled with human bones. Jesus. The farmer got out of there as fast as he could to tell everybody in town about the bones. Soon, a large group was in Patty's field looking at the box of bones, and then everybody started saying, Hey, do you remember that slave trader that showed up, like, around a decade ago, and he had a ton of money, and then nobody ever heard from him after he was at Patty's house? (laughs) That guy? Yeah, that guy. When authorities heard about the bones, they decided to ask Cyrus James, Patty's slave that she had had since he was seven years old, and had helped her actually lure and freed blacks to be kidnapped. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you can't blame that guy. It's like, he obviously realizes this lady's a psycho. Right. If he doesn't do it, he gets killed. There's nowhere to hide from her. Yeah. And also, it's probably... You know, a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome, too. Mm -hmm. So, James quickly started telling authorities about how Patty killed the slave trader and that she had murdered several others and he could show them where all of the bodies were buried Mm. because he had helped. Right. James led authorities and a large crowd equipped with shovels through Patty's fields 
and pointed out all the burial places that James could remember, and bones of both adults and children were dug up all over her property. Sick. With James's testimony and the bones found, authorities finally had enough evidence to arrest Patty Cannon. Patty was taken to the jail in Georgetown while people continued to dig through her fields looking for more bones. Mm -hmm. Patty knew that she was going to be arrested by Delaware police, since that's the state that her house and property, where all the bones were on, so she ran over to the Maryland side of the tavern. However, a Delaware sheriff, who was said to be very handsome and a smooth talker, was able to get Patty to cross over the state line and promptly arrested her. Hmm. Which, I mean... Hey, Maryland, can you, like, just help out for, like, a minute to arrest this lady? Yeah. Who's obviously a psycho. Extradite. Yeah. She clearly committed crimes in our state. Right. I don't wonder when extradition laws really came came into play. Yeah, I I don't know when they started becoming a thing, especially between states. Yeah. You think that extradition between states should be pretty easy, but I guess this is still kind of the... Beginning of the country. country. Yeah. Still, everybody was still used to them being their own colony. Right. Own little mini country. Patty was indicted on three counts of murder. However, the trial never happened because Patty was found dead in her cell with no apparent cause. But there is speculation that she was able to get a hold of some arsenic and would have rather poisoned herself than go through with the trial. Hmm where she would have more than likely be found guilty and hanged in the town square. It's a shame. Yeah. Patty was buried in the jail graveyard. Many years later, the graveyard was dug up so that it could be paved and turned into the courthouse parking lot. Patty's remains were dumped into a Sussex County potter's field, except for her skull, which was kept by the Dover Public Library. Mm. (laughs) Gross, right? Yeah. Why do you want that? Yeah. That's an odd keepsake. Thing to keep. Yeah. Apparently they don't display it. They just so kind of keep ha- it in the back. So they just have this skull? Yeah, I was watching this interview by this historian that knows all about Patty. And she, I guess she had to like beg to go see the skull. Oh, really? But then she got to go hold it. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I'd want to hold it. Yeah. I guess the Smithsonian borrowed it for a while, but they just wanted to look at the skull to like See what the skull of people that had lived in that area around that time was like. Not necessarily because of her life. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Strange. And also, they're not entirely sure that's even her skull. What? Because they weren't even entirely sure that it was definitely her body that they dug up. What? Yeah. So the fact that they kept it is just... Why? <laughs> yeah. So that was the story of the Reverse Underground Railroad, mm-hmm. possibly America's first serial killer, mm-hmm. um, probably most definitely America's first female serial killer. Right. That's crazy. Oh, Patty. Patty Cannon. Patty Cannon. And God, I just thought you were going with a totally different direction with this. Almost. I know. I was kind of hoping to give you all the like she's bait like, and switch. She's, yeah, you, it Like works. she was going to be like it a... I felt like, right... Right into that trap. Like she was going to be a slave trader murderer and be yeah. a good person. Yeah, yeah. She'd be like taking all their money. Yeah. Uh, Harriet Tubman actually ended up growing up not too far from Patty Cannon's house. Really? Yeah. What? God, that's crazy. 
And then, so she was, I think, she was only about nine years old when Patty Cannon died. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was born into slavery. But she probably heard stories of the evil lady that would kidnap and kidnap freed, freed slaves and kill babies and kill babies yeah god that is so messed up so messed up like, i don't care who you are like just killing babies no matter what you believe in yeah you should believe in not killing babies right my sources for this story were congress abolishes the african slave trade a history.com article Delmarva's Patty Cannon, The Devil on the Nanticoke by Michael Morgan, and Delaware's Patty Cannon and Her Evil Ways by Shannon Marvel McNaught. Was that the, which one was, did you, you said it was a interview that you saw, watched? Oh, that was just a short video that I watched. I I forgot to put it in the sources. Literally all I got from the video was that this lady got to hold the skull oh <laughs> so, it so didn't really... I, I didn't even put it in the write yeah, down yeah, anything yeah, from the interview in the yeah, story yeah, okay. that's why i didn't include it in the sources okay i just remember watching the video and she's but like maybe, i got to hold the skull puzzling, puzzling I'll, I'll, I'll put it and i'll put it in um the show notes on the website too okay. i'll post the link there too yeah so people can watch that yeah super weird yeah just a skull Oh, we just got a. Oh, that that's the that's the box that's got the skull in it. Right. Like, is it like one of those you know, like those old banker boxes with the lid on it? That just is has... it like a shoe box. It's like a shoe box that just like the lid doesn't close all the way because there's a giant skull in it. So it just like kind of yeah, it just kind of <laughs> peeks out the top. Yeah, like the forehead just kind of you can just see like that. What's in that box? And then just like poor handwriting, it just says Patty Skull. skull. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in black. Quill ink calligraphy. Yeah. The presidential trivia. Who's the only president to serve two non-sequential terms? Can you give me a first letter? Of which? Of his first name? Both. Or of his last name? Both. G.C. Galvin Coolidge. <laughs> oh, that president. <laughs> Old Galvin Coolidge. It was... It was Grover Cleveland. Grover, ah, oh, Grover Cleveland. I knew that. And this is what he looks like. He's got a pretty. He's got like a walrus mustache. Okay, yeah. Not yeah. a miner's beard. Yeah. Okay, and a hell of a widow's peak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is trying to hang on to what hair he has. Yeah, he's got that classic comb over. Mm-hmm. That's just all thin and sad. So, <laughs> President Grover Cleveland served in office from 1885 to 1889, and then again from 1893 to 1897. He was the 22nd and 24th president of the United States, which means that, like, President Trump could technically be considered both the 44th and 45th president. So, there's only been 44 guys that have held the office, mm-hmm. but because he served... Two terms. Two, two non-consecutive non- terms. Yeah, he's counted as the 22nd and 24th. So, yeah. Hmm. Now you know. Hmm. About Grover Cleveland. Yeah. If you like this podcast, we just ask that you share it with somebody that yeah. you think would like it. Yeah. Tell them about it. Tell them about it. Tell them about an episode. Tell them about Patty Cannon and her, her murderous... Psychopathic, psychopathic ways yeah. our first serial killer maybe probably yeah 
Um, and if you would like to know more about this episode and our sources, like I said before, they'll be posted in the show notes on our website, americathebizarre.com. Do you have any updates? Nothing this week. Nothing this week? Okay. So in that case, we hope you stay safe. Stay healthy. And until next time, stay stay weird, weird, America. America.